Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and talk to the people who create these games. Now, this is a cool episode because this is, A, a request from you out there, you the listener. This is one that came from uh, from our Facebook page. But it is also a guest that we've been, God, he's been talking about coming on for a year plus more, um, and we just keep missing each other like ships in the night. But I am so excited to have a man who knows his business on today, and we are going to talk shop. In old LRDG terms, we are going to get the crunch on today, ladies and gentlemen. I'm excited to get into it. Of course, if we're going to be talking listing, analysis, getting into the the deep tactics, we got to get someone who knows what they're talking about in the bolt-action world and that is the man, the myth, the legend, JL from The Bacon Burgers. Also, the man behind Arvi- Iron Harvest Studio. One of these days, I will not trip over my tongue when I say that. JL, welcome to Cast Dice, man. First time good ever. Day, Brad. Yeah, good. Yeah, great to be here. Oh, man, it is so good to have you on, man. How you been? Great, great. Yeah, just uh, hiding from the, uh, the germs in the studio, uh, painting away. Busily, not playing as much as I would like, but uh, getting a lot of brush time in. Now, for those of you listening at home, Melbourne is still locked down. Um, We have taken the world record. Thank you. It's what we do. Uh, We have been locked down forever. And so JL and I have not exactly been playing tons recently. But earlier this year when Melbourne opened up, um, between our big lockdowns, um, we got a lot of games in. So, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, certainly missed that. Um, yes. No, it's 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 it had, it had had been pretty good in that um, you know, I, I live within walking distance of of my club, so uh, you know, we were playing at least every second week up there, and uh, mm. I had plans to to uh, spend some more time down at down at Hampton as well. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're they're merely postponed, not cancelled, shall we say. That's right. That's right. And we're hoping to get some more events up and running. We were able to get that Tank War event up around Easter time this year. So um, I'm hoping that 2022 will bring bolt action back to Melbourne in a big way. Now, JL, we were asked, or I was asked through the Facebook page, to talk about something that has been discussed, I guess, at length on old LRDG episodes, on old Ghost Army podcast episodes, and through, uh, obviously, other podcasts like the ones you've been associated with, for example, the Bacon Burgers, getting into the idea of how would you create a competitive list for bolt action? Now, there's about a million different ways to take a bite out of that apple. Um, Now, I know that you and I both have some very similar ideas and some very different ideas, so I thought that you would be a great guest to come on to to talk shop, so to speak. Before we start, I think we should set a couple ground rules. Now, Warlord has put out a recommended Warlord Games tournament pack that has eliminated all of the theater books and all of the campaign books and all of the additional units and army lists, theater selectors, 
that appear in those. The only lists that technically apply to competitive play as far as Warlord Games is concerned are the Armies of books. So when I speak generally today, I will be taking that sort of approach. I'm going to be narrowing the field to the Armies of books as a whole, um, but although I might tiptoe around in other directions. JL, is that how you were thinking as well? Um, well, that, that hadn't really occurred to me, um, although... I don't think it affects the, the the way that I've sort of approached the question because they're less about uh, particular units or particular theatre lists and more about the, the philosophy of what, what does a list need to do um, and, and how do you build it out. So um, I don't think that, that that dramatically changes any anything that I had um, sort of considered it around. Exactly. Um, maybe some, some, of the, some of the edge case lists and, and there there is a, a small sort of section that I I I had put into um uh what I'd called almost gimmick lists or edge case lists and, and more of those are probably going to be found in the in the theater selector lists than they, they would in the um uh reinforced platoons. Um but I think really most of what we're gonna cover in, in, in this today isn't affected by that uh that pack. Agreed. Agreed. Um, although we did want, I did want to clarify that, and I also thought that we wouldn't necessarily be doing the tried and true. Who's the best nation? Who has the best national rules? What's the most efficient machine gun tank for your buck? Now I'm sure that some, you know, there will be some discussion of that sort of thing as we go. And at the end of this discussion, I do want to talk a little bit about how I would build a competitive list if I walked into an event today and I, I had that in mind because that's not something I've talked about in literally years. However, again, it'll be, I think it'll be slightly more theoretical, as JL is saying, rather than the, I'm going to take this many of this guy and this many SMGs and that sort of thing. But let's start. JL, mm -hmm. if, if you were going to go to an event, um, let's say we were events were up and running again, and someone said, I want to run a competitive event. First of all, what does that mean to you, and how would you approach building a force to go to that? Well, the the first first thing that I wanted to to touch on as as we get into that is that um, competitive is um, somewhat contingent on the local meta, Agreed. so to speak. I mean, you you have you can have a um, just anything goes. Uh, I mean, we've we've removed the theatre selectors from from this discussion, so mm -hmm. we won't touch on that. But but even within the the reinforced platoons, you know, you you can just have bring anything, whether it's a historical, just as long as you can fit that many points in, off you go. Um, or alternately, competitive can also be competitive, but with some of the sharp edges, maybe taken off because that's the community expectation and the the meta game of, of where you play now um i mean we we both would remember for example the uh composition score mm -hmm. uh, in the way that uh 40k was done in melbourne for a long time where, right. where that was done as an attempt to sort of uh level the playing field a little bit and the way that we approach i i think most of us uh running events in, in Melbourne is with the proviso that it should be fun for everybody mm -hmm. and that um, you shouldn't turn up and just have lost the game before you even put your uh, your, your figures on the table. Um, 
that being said, uh, there are a number of ways that you can frame that, you know. Um, I think it's worth starting off with a, a, a sense of what, what does what does it mean to be competitive? And uh, I think when we get into that, it's um, you haven't lost before you get there. Right. You know, that, that against any other army that you're you're going to face, you know, with, with those um, uh, implicit restrictions maybe in there on any kind of terrain, you're not going to turn up and have lost before you start. Exactly. Um, and that in turn means that you're going to have to have a number of your bases kind of covered. Yep. You know, um, there is a uh, a thing in in tank design, for example, which mm -hmm. is a little bit like that triangular um, uh, heuristic they they talk about in in any kind of technical design, where you've got good, cheap, and fast, and you mm -hmm. can pick any of the two. Um, <laughs> exactly. In tank design, here they talk about mobility, firepower, and survivability. Um, it's not strictly that you have to pick two and exclude the third, mm -hmm. but you'll generally turn tend towards accentuating two of the three and, and minimizing one, yeah. um, just because you, you really can't be jack of all trades. Yeah, so, and bolt action is pretty good for that. Um, it is, if you are going to lean in a particular direction, it usually is because you've spent your points on units that, that sort of have that feel, or in those feels, I should say, and you do kind of end up, it, it, you can't do all of it, can you? Um, now, bolt action, and I, I think we should start by saying, bolt action is also a game that is incredibly fun to play, and is probably my favorite game, and I play a lot of games. However, it isn't the hardest game to break if you want to make something that is really aggressive. Um, but often when you do that, it is often at the expense of your ability to take a hit sometimes. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that, that I, the fourth dimension in that is, is your... Um, how much attention you pay to the dice mechanic, dice superiority exactly. um, mechanic, because yes, you can, you can make a very um, glass cannon kind of, kind of army. Um, I, I'm imagining some of the airborne lists, mm -hmm. for example, but the, the um, number of dice that you're, you're putting down uh, means that every time one of them goes, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. you know? um, and it means that, that you're, tending to react to what your opponent is doing rather than dictate what what happens, which can put you in some really uh, uh, really rough waters. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I, I like to remember, particularly when doing lists like this, to be competitive, for me, I like to have a game plan. I like to, I like to as you were saying, to not lose the game before you walk in. So for me, I like to have a list that you know, I, I don't like to, to take something that is necessarily going to be seen as the strongest thing in the world, but I do like to take a list that has options, that I know when I hit a certain situation, I know what I can do in that place. I know if I run into a big tank, I'll, I, can, I can do this. I know if I run into an infantry horde, I can do this. I know if it's a mission for kill points, I have a game plan here. I know if it's a mission where I'm going to grab five objectives or two objectives, I have a game plan for each one of those scenarios going in, just looking at the base blocks of the army that I put together so that I'm not backfooted 
right when I walk in. Then I can focus yeah. on what my opponent's doing and are they paying attention to what the mission's asking as well? Because bolt action, and I'm sure we'll say it again later, but bolt action is a game where the majority of the missions have objectives and require you to, 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 to move. You need to be able to pivot. You need to be mobile to go out and get an objective, hold it, and then um, be able to make decisions about what you're going to try and block your op opponent from doing or how you're going to prevent your opponent from taking those objectives as well. So there's a little bit of that give and take. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. And um, I think it's a, it's a key component of, of uh, any list that you, you have some level of multiple redundancy um, exactly. built into it, that um, you have an ideal case about what you anticipate each element in your force is going to do, So and that you've kitted them out accordingly. So for example, you don't want to have um, a unit with a lot of SMGs on the back line doing the job of a unit that should be rifles and machine guns. Exactly. For example, you want to have that unit right up the front where it can get up close and personal. Um, and I, I try and build a, um, a best case plan around what would happen if all of my units are where they should be still alive and, and still functioning. But then you have plan B, which is what will I use my second line units to do if they have to plug a gap due to the loss of one of the frontline ones. Exactly. For example, um, you know, the, the famous saying about everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, <laughs> <laughs> which, which is a bastardization of Clausewitz. Um, no plan survives contact with the, with the enemy. Exactly. Uh, I love Mike Tyson, but um, <laughs> it's, it's really important because um, as if the, the rhythm of the game is going your way, that's probably not something that you're, you're going to be thinking about, but um, the, the dice superiority mechanic, um, that if you are being dictated to by the, the order that the dice are coming out or the number of dice that are in, in play, it's very important to, to um, literally not put all your, your eggs in one basket about relying on one unit to absolutely do this thing right now. Exactly, um, because bolt action will happen. Mm -hmm. um, something weird will will come out, and uh, you'll you'll have to really think on your feet about that. Um, and and pa so partially that's a question about numbers. Um, it's it's a question of do you feel confident in the survivability of your um, small veteran squads, or do you uh, accentuate having larger regulars that? They they may not do what you want when when they want when you want them to, um, but they can perhaps take a bit more punishment because um, there's more than five of them. That's right, and perhaps throw out more dice because there are more of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, now I know that you and I both. I mean the 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 common wisdom in bolt action, giant air quotes on that, is that often veteran is better, and people and you can see why like the. Just the advantages of being more durable and of having the morale to stick around, that's a huge benefit. However, I've always really liked regular troops. It could be because I played a lot of Imperial Guard when I first started wargaming, and I like the idea of just basic grunts. But, God, I most of the lists that I've made over the years are regular as starting yeah. points. 
And I know you do. I know you do that as well. So um, how do you combat the idea that veteran is king on the tabletop? I like to think of regular giving me more dice on the table so I have more chances to adapt to the situation and that I have more models on the table. I don't mind losing a unit if it's going to get me what I need on the tabletop as far as objective wise. I don't mind sacrificing something that's regular. When you start sacrificing veteran stuff, eh, that can sometimes feel bad. I, I, I guess for me, it really just depends on the situation. I'm also not afraid to take units that are deemed bad, um, depending on what the situation and the circumstances call for. My DAC list, for example, and now this is an example where I'm actually using veterans, so this may not be the best example for what I'm trying to say, but I, w- I came second at Moab a number of years ago using um, a DAC list that was four units of six veterans with a handful of SMGs in each in horches. So I had four horches running these guys around. That was backed up with a eight-man squad of... Um, just regular guys with an LMG. I had a medium machine gun and I know boo hiss and a light anti-tank gun. Again, ooh, is that is that a is that an efficient choice? But I had those the MMG because it was a single platoon and I didn't have the points to dig it out. I thought of that medium machine gun as sort of a cheap five-man squad because that's essentially points-wise what it is. It's like a five-man regular squad. You get five shots-ish, more if you're German, but you have a longer range. Sure, you're not as durable, but in cover, you know, sure, you're sniper bait, but if you're you're sensible about how you do it. So I had like my anvil, which was the... My machine gun squad, I have the medium machine gun next to it, and I had the light anti-tank gun. And I think I had an an ATR in there, an anti-tank rifle. So there was like this little core of units that could throw out shots and pins on things that came to get me. Meanwhile, I had my tanks and the horches zipping off to take other objectives and to lay out the hurt. And that really worked for me even though I was using units like a medium machine gun and a light AT gun, which aren't necessarily seen as great, but because I'd sort of spent the points and I had those those assets available, I was able to sacrifice them when I needed them. The number of times that medium machine gun hid behind a wall and then ran out to grab an objective in the last turn, hey, that's fine. That's 50 points. That's cool. Don't mind. It's what the situation needs, if that makes sense. Am I making sense there? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, in my my Soviet list, uh, for example, I I run a lot of AT rifles, um, which are yeah pretty suboptimal choices in terms of actually penetrating any armor post probably (laughs) nineteen forty two. Right, but they're cheap, thirty points. Mm -hmm. um, Small small teams, so they're they're hard enough to get. Um, They contribute pretty heavily to to your dice. Oh, yeah. superiority at, at very low cost um, and they can just work like a El Chapo sniper team. You know, you can and they also, shoot. they work really well too. Um, I know in a lot of metas in bolt action, the truck with a machine gun is becoming the norm as getting your, uh, your unit across the board. One, because it increases your mobility and your durability um, because now trucks, you roll on the the armor penetration, not the the um, damage chart, rather than them just being destroyed like in version one. Mm. 
but also the the machine guns there just being able to lay out those shots at range they're cheap compared to like a medium machine gun not to you know <laughs> not to speak poorly of the thing i just said i liked um <laughs> however um those atrs are wonderful uh if you have a couple of anti-tank rifles in the right spot and you put them on ambush those trucks have to take you know have to think twice sure you're probably not going to destroy the truck but that's not what you need to do if you get a couple of pins on that truck getting the unit out of the truck is going to be more difficult and if they do get out of the truck you know having that veteran squad with all the machine guns and a flamethrower squad all of a sudden one or two minus ones to hit with that squad makes their efficacy on the tabletop a hell of a lot less. I don't mind having that squad jump out and hose me if they have a minus two to hit when they do, right? You know, Sure, they're well, still yeah. going to pass on seven. Don't care. Fine. You're minus two to hit me. Have fun, bro. Yeah, um, so they're at minus two, and then you're a small team, and ideally you're in cover. It, it, all, it all stacks mm-hmm. up. And the, the other advantage, I guess, that that, that gives you is that um, – most people, even if it's a veteran team inside the truck, won't take the truck as veteran. They'll take it as mm-hmm. regular, um, which means that that truck has got a hard time getting moving uh, next turn, which might well mean that uh, it remains stuck in place while something a bit more heavy duty turns its turret around and, mm-hmm. and lights it up. My um, horches were regular. You're preaching to the choir there, brother. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, cool. So I like the idea of a hammer and anvil list, one that can go out and grab objectives and one that can take a take a hit to the chin um, or at least be able to fend off, uh, you know, that somebody's being able to zip in and grab something, um, particularly on missions where you see like top secret or, you know, they can end really quickly. Uh, that's how I roll. Jail, that that seems to me, as I go through most of my lists, I, I realize that most of my list-making philosophy often falls into that category. How about you? Do you have a particular quote-unquote style? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I tend to. And, and it's very similar. Um, that I, I try and really identify what what side of the balance sheet each one of these lists is is each one of these units is going to be mm-hmm. um and then kind of allocate its transport accordingly um so you know in in most cases for example um you want your your really cutting edge units to be very mobile as well um because mm-hmm. if if you've got a lot of firepower but only at short range it's no good if it's on stuck on the other side of the board um yeah so if if you've only got a certain number of trucks in your collection or only a certain number of transports uh uh, points to allocate to transports yeah they've got to be allocated to the right units um you know uh i think that's that's one that's worth looking at about the toes as well um and, and that new rule in the faq that's that's an interesting one um that they seem to have relented a little bit about the idea that um, <clears throat> if you've neglected to uh, bring a, a tow for heavy artillery, mm-hmm. um, that it can at least be walked, walked six inches onto the uh, onto the board. Am I am I the only one that kind of missed 
I, I really like that rule that you had to have a toe. I know it's kind of a dick thing, and it, it, but it was one of the things that kept the really big guns. It was like the downside to the really big guns. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had a, oh, I felt terrible about it, but, but at, at um, uh, one event, where was that? That was at CanCon. I was going to say last year, but it was actually the year before. Um, the, the last one that happened. Um, we ran into this, that same scenario and I had to say to this guy, where's your toe? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and it couldn't come on. Uh, and I, 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 in retrospect, I probably should have let it happen, but I, I didn't that day. Yeah. Um, and if you've ever, ever seen how big a, a flak 88 is, <laughs> a um, little I, donkey. I, I've, <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen that one at um, the New Orleans museum, which, yeah. which you would have uh, oh, yeah. seen. And it's, it's a, it's a great big honking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they weigh seven tons. Yes. So <laughs> it's not just one little horse that pulls it, no. uh, but regardless. Um, yeah. And, and those things all, all add up because um, yes, even if you can only bring it on six inches, um, that might not be in a very good position for it to be. Exactly. Uh, you know, either its field of fire is congested or it's not getting uh, any line of sight blocking to prevent mortar fire coming mm-hmm. onto it. Uh, all of the usual suspects mm-hmm. that can make their, their day difficult. If you can see something else, they can see you. Yeah, I like the mobility of being able to put a big gun somewhere and then running with it. When you are building... A list. And I know I said I would lean away from this. I don't necessarily want to start listing who's got the best and who's this, that, and the other thing. But do national rules... um, Actually, let me backstep before I get to national rules. How important is it for you to have order dice supremacy? Or is there a certain number of order dice, since that's kind of where we were going with this, that you think is really necessary when building a list? Well, the, the received wisdom um, seems to be heading in the direction that, that one order dice per 100 yeah. points is, is kind of the sweet spot and ideally more if you can get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that comes with problems of its own in that once you get over a certain number of order dice, um, we start getting back into the territory of it, of it being an I go, you go game because you've burnt through yours really quickly and you have to be able to play quickly enough to to do it so um i tend to advise people to steer away from your 17 18 19 Mm -hmm. order dice lists until they're decisive enough in their decision making and know the rules well enough that they're not umming and ahhing for 20 minutes and you only get through uh, three of three turns in your mm-hmm. allotted time because of the the sort of uh, bogging down about trying to make up your mind what to do. Um, but yeah, I, I I tend to write a first draft of my list and then look at it through that prism mm-hmm. um, about how is this going to stack up against somebody who's got um, maybe a third more uh, as as a really extreme case a third more order dice than I do. Yeah. Um, and that's one that, you know, because I play a lot of uh, Eastern Front uh, games, that, that's that's a fairly common one. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you've got a, a fairly tough uh, regular and veteran uh, German list with, with pretty good tanks, but you've got a lot more auto dice on the other side, um, some of which are, are 
you know, not terribly effective, but that ineffective unit allows a very effective unit to be activated when your opponent wants it to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and that, 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 that goes hand in hand with, with particular tactics against about how you uh, fight when you're heavily outnumbered like that. Um, and my approach to that is in turn one and two, just focus on uh, stripping out as many small team easy kill order dice as you can mm -hmm. to try and level that playing field. You, you know that they're not really going to do anything to impact the game, but they impact the tempo of the game, which is important. It is. Um, so, yeah, first things usually take out snipers, mortars, and then light transports. Um, you know, try, try and make it more likely that what you want to happen will happen when you want it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to answer that question myself when I was doing the planning for this, and I don't think I really consider order dice all that often, but I think that's because I spend a lot of time working with regular lists. So I, I don't feel like I'm ever short. I know that occasionally when I work with a veteran list, though, it can start to get really, like, I feel like, where are the rest of my order dice? Only because I am used to having more but when I say more, I'm usually running between 12 and 14. Again, like you said, you need if you have more than that, I know that my Auto Sahariana, for example, I think had 15 to 16 dice, but most of those were units zipped up in transports. So for me, most of my army was zipped up in vehicles, so I was only running maybe eight or nine units on the tabletop at any given moment. And as things started to pop out, you know, as the game hit the final stages, then units would jump out or transports would be destroyed. And then that number would go up. But I, I don't know if, yeah, I just don't take unit, you know, armies that have like ridiculous ordered dice in either direction. I guess as a TO, I've run the tiger Gumby list about a million times and that's about seven or eight dice. And mm -hmm. I think if you have never played a big tank, I feel like it's it's not going to be your quote-unquote most competitive run of things. Now, you can play big tanks competitively, but I think it's a great thought exercise to run a smaller list with something like that to bully someone because I think it really does open up your mind to the opportunities that those kinds of lists can give you, not to mention it really teaches you to play clever with the assets that you have. Um, and then you can either expand that as you go back to your usual order dice numbers. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's there's a quote I was, I was thinking about uh, as I was kind of preparing for this, and it's from um, the 1970 um, film of, of Waterloo with uh, Rod Steiger and mm -hmm. uh, Christopher Plummer. And it's the, the scene when the, the Prussians start appearing on the, the very, very edge of the battle and uh, Napoleon's thinking, well, I, if I can break this... Um, area in front of me before they arrive i've i've won and it doesn't matter what happens with them mm -hmm. and he says to his, to his aide as far as you and i are concerned those men are, may as well be on the moon um, yeah exactly and right. operating with with very small uh footprint lists like that um plays into that thing that, that you know you don't need to really worry about 
the units on the other side of the, the board mm -hmm. because you, you don't have anything to engage them with. They can't engage you, but you can go right through the ones that are right in front of mm -hmm. you. Um, you know, I, it, it's harder than it used to be because um, Tiger Fear has, mm -hmm. is now no longer what it was, although I always thought that was a poor rule mechanic uh, across the board anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think that the the influence of man-portable uh, anti-tank is probably stronger than it than it has been in, in the past as well. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can still certainly do it. You've just got to think about it a lot more cleverly and uh, just not allow the pace of the battle to be dictated to you any more than than absolutely has to be the case. Um, yeah, yeah, so it might be the, the case that's one big push with a snap two and the, the heavy tank going mm -hmm. right through the center uh, will will break a number of units right when you need it to happen. Um, so you need to you need to think about the the um, <clears throat> the impact of the timing, I think, a lot more with a list like that. Now, would you say, you mentioned Snap 2. I, I typically run a second lieutenant almost always. I do occasionally take a first. But in just my list, it's just, again, the style I, the like, the, the way I like to play, I don't necessarily need to bulk out on Snap 2, although I've played enough Germans to know when to use it effectively um, because they do get that extra Snap 2 for a second or a first lieutenant. I guess... Do you go beyond the second lieutenant in quote-unquote competitive play, or are points tight? Like, I guess it depends on your game plan. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I know that some people refer to um, the officers as as the officer tax, tax. Mm -hmm. uh, as as something that that is something that you um, you only take because you have to. And um, I, I tend to stick to a second lieutenant as well. Yeah. Um, you know, but I, I don't tend to push them very far forward. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't don't make them into a little hit squad or anything, um, anything like that. They, I tend to keep them uh, towards the back line um, as a sort of line of last reserve to uh, keep whatever is defending my rear objectives in the game, um, because I'm often um, thinking ahead to what what happens if someone tries a sneaky outflank or. Mm -hmm. Uh, something to, to, to attack my um, my rear units. Um, so I find a tooled-up uh, officer squad at the back um, to to keep those regulars holding the back line in the game um, does quite well. I, I honestly can't say that I've ever tried taking a captain. Uh, yeah, or a me neither. Officer. <laughs> never, never something that's uh, that struck me as a good use of resources. Yeah, because you need to take the lieutenant as well. And it just... It just I don't know. It feels bad. It just has never appealed to me. It's just never been one of those things that's jumped out at me and said, you know what? I really need that in my force. Mm. I just don't. Mm. I could see the use of it in, in again, some of the, these edge case lists where you, you have uh, big units of shirkers, mm -hmm. uh, for example, that, that are very hard to get them motivated and, and moving. That's true. Um, having, having multiple officers. But then, Really, you could get the same effect by taking a second platoon and taking two second lieutenants. Mm -hmm. um, For a hell of a lot probably, less points. <laughs> yeah, a lot less points. And then you get the uh, the other additional um, support slots, should they be required. 
Um, and and that's that's another interesting one. I I, I can't remember uh, from what you said whether the the official uh, Warlord pack now says it's a single platoon. I don't only. think so. Right? I I think you get to choose single or double. Um, mm. And honestly, in competitive play, and I've played it competitively in a, in a number of events. I guess it depends on the makeup of my force. I on whether or not. I take one or two platoons. Um, there have definitely been cases where I've said, yes, I definitely need two platoons. And that's usually to get the vehicles to make a list work as far mm-hmm. as, you know, for my auto Sahariana, it was so that I could get um, enough soft skin vehicles in there. In addition to my transports to make the list visually and thematically fit that. Um, and in the end, tactically it worked brilliantly, but it was m- less for a tactical reason. I typically run one platoon although i wouldn't say that i do it all the time i definitely have run enough i mean there's absolute benefits to running two platoons as far as being able to take additional support resources like snipers um Mm -hmm. mortars uh, flamethrower teams um, particular tanks depending on what you are aiming to do the dual platoon can be necessary but again, I think it comes down to what your game plan is, not a you must do this all the time. Because I've yeah, definitely done both. I, 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 I've only ever really done it with my... Uh, no, I, I tell a lie. I've done it with the Germans, Germans and Soviets. But uh, in both cases, it's because I want a second vehicle, which is not a, a, a main tank, but mm-hmm. just happens to sit in the tank support slot because mm-hmm. of that arbitrary decision about... Uh, where it goes. So in the Soviets' case, it was to have a uh, Katusha as well as the T-34 in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the German case, it was to have a Stommel, um, yeah. uh, which you know, which I run as, along with a, a tank. Um, so it's not to, to sort of strong arm two, you yeah. know, two of your main medium or heavy tanks. It's a secondary uh, support slot, really, that's the only reason to to get that and because there's so much infantry to go around it's it's really just a case of paying the points for the the second left the spare second lieutenant um which when you do have the um uh certainly the inexperienced soviet rifle squads isn't a bad mm-hmm. thing to have anyway because um they're quite good when they do what what you tell them to um, exactly right but making that happen can be the the difficulty exactly is there a number of I mean, I know the answer is probably going to be depending on your strategy or your tactics. Number of squads that you would recommend including? Um, I almost always run five full infantry squads, and if I'm running two platoons, I often take a sixth. And if I take a single platoon, I use the points that I you would spend on my second on the second second lieutenant for a second platoon not doing that um, and just taking another machine gun team because again I look at them not as a medium machine gun team I look at them as a five man rifleman squad because it's the same number of dice longer range same price 50 points same as five riflemen right and that's and I just look at them as sort of a static version of that I like having maybe one more squad than my opponent might, and that keeps in mind that the machine gun team, I think of it as a small one. So I like having more infantry than the person next to me because 
I feel like it gives me a little bit more freedom and flexibility when making decisions about what objectives I'm going to hold and what I'm going to grab. I mean, it forces my opponents to make some harder choices of, ooh, ooh, maybe I need to reallocate some of my resources beyond what they're used to seeing in other lists, if that makes sense. Is that, how do you approach it? Yeah, that, that's a really interesting question. Um, because if I think about it, um, when I started, um, I was ten, I was running three large squads mm-hmm. uh, and then a grab bag of d- different odds and ends. And mm-hmm. the trend has certainly been upwards in, in the number of squads mm-hmm. and downwards in the uh, points that I'm willing to spend on tanks. Honestly, yeah. when they when they do talk about um, bolt action being an infantry game, um, they're really not kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Amen. You, know, you only really really have to have a look at what are the lists that are placing highly in tournament play, re- regardless really of the meta. And most of the time, um, the the vehicles are window dressing, mm-hmm. uh, really, the, unless they're transports, um, which is very useful because um, you can you can if you were mathematically inclined work out what is the points per shot of a tank that it puts out across the game mm-hmm. right so um, that 88 sitting on your tiger 2 it's only going to shoot six times mm-hmm. um, so you would have to work out what is it 550 points yeah from, or from 666 so, points at veteran it's the devil's tank. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, if, if if that was a veteran, you would be looking at a hundred points per per cannon shot. So in order for that to even, I I, I don't I've never been fond of the very simplistic uh, approach of it must make its points back. Yeah, no, that uh, the the the, no. the points is irrelevant. It's whether you won or lost that's that's really the the, the main thing. But amen. Um, to if you were to think about it in that way, it has to destroy at least a hundred points worth of enemy value on average per shot uh, for that to be remotely viable. So yeah. no, I don't think that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> exactly. Uh, right. That would be terrible. I, I've moved into, uh, into the realm of infantry removal units mm-hmm. <laughs> as I call them now. Uh, so your, your big ISU self-propelled guns, mm-hmm. um, KV twos. Um, I, I 3d printed out a broom bar the other day, uh, which is sitting on my desk. One day that'll get a, get use um but even the the humble stuh 42 Mm -hmm. um those those are i think are much better value because you can evaporate a whole veteran squad yeah in one shot um you only have to do that once and that that thing has has made its value back that's true um which is why um i mean howitzer tanks have definitely gone down in of efficacy, uh, not to use a work word, um, in, in version two of the game, whereas, you know, you don't have the, the HE and we're using the templates more often. But still, if particularly if you're running facing, or I should say veteran squads, where each one of those guys is pricey and they're tending to be smaller squads, you're going to be able to get a, a bigger percentage of those squads under those templates, and you're more likely to splat them which is, I think, why we've seen a massive swing into, not that they weren't good before, but certainly in version two, everyone's talking about the, ma- the machine gun tank, particularly mm-hmm. the light ones with great efficiency. And yeah, those are great, but they are also easier to dispatch. Um, 
Yeah. Which I, is I why, really mi- you know, a light AT gun goes a real long way sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have really mixed feelings about those because I, I think there are, you know, we're talking about work buzzwords. I think what they, mm-hmm. what they call a, a perverse incentive, um, mm. those things, because they're, um, the way that they interact with the rest of the game rules is completely at odds with their historical uh, trajectory. True. Yeah. The, they, these things were, were never intended for, really for battlefield use. Uh, certainly the Panzer one was intended as a training tank mm-hmm. only, um, but it got used because there wasn't anything else available. That, they, that was obsolete by 1936, 1937. Um, but because of the interaction of, of a number of, of different uh, rules and tendencies within the game, they work really, really well. They, they do. They, they're really quite good um, in a way that they probably shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's not a lot of the negatives uh, that come into play with them, particularly because they're so cheap that uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you could take a secondary armored platoon of Panzer ones or twos for not you know, pocket change out of a thousand point list. What was it? Uh, Bob Emerson they... took 10 FT 17s to a <laughs> tournament once and it was what 500 <laughs> points. And he just filled out the rest of his list with other things. And, you know, woe be anyone who came near that army. They just got pasted. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, but that is definitely what we were talking about earlier. That's a skew list, if I ever saw one. Um, yeah. It is. But uh, and and then it, that's another thing that that comes into how how do you define um, uh, competitive within the context of of a um, reinforced platoon list? Because that reinforced platoon, technically, you could do that and then give all your infantry Panzerfausts. Hmm. Um, it would be completely ahistorical, and as somebody who who vets lists, I would be uh, I would be issuing a please explain notice. <laughs> yeah. But um, some metas are just not interested in nope. in that historic historicity of the of the list, um, so to speak, and will just view it as a, a mathematical or, or gaming exercise. Um, so that's another thing I think that you, you have to consider that. Um, I try and stick with the um, broad outline of, of how Flames of War does it. You've got early war, mid war, and, and late war lists, and that I will try and construct a list that is uh, competitive but plausible. Exactly. <laughs> as, as exactly. Well. You're not gaming it to break it because um, it is a game that can be broken very easily, as, as you said. It, yeah. it relies on a certain degree of. of trust rather than um, an ironclad set of rules. True. But if you are running a tank, you do need to keep in mind that Panzerfausts are a thing, and they do mm-hmm. they do commonly exist, and that there's the old rookie mistake of only assuming the Germans have them. Arguably, mm-hmm. the best army list to use Panzerfausts is the Soviets, because they have all of the extra bo- benefits of being Soviets, but then they also get access to the cheapest anti-tank assets in the game that really keep you away from their infantry. Like, you can't... What, the the, the dog mines? Well, (laughs) no, I was speaking of (laughs) Panzerfaust, but yeah, that too. Um, But, I mean, Soviets are one of my... If I was to build a competitive list, and the last time I did play, quote-unquote, competitively in, in an event, I did play Soviets. 
because they have a wonderfully uh, a wonderfully diverse army book that really has the vehicles of every way, shape, form that allow you to really take a vehicle to cater to what the rest of your list is doing. But I guess the Soviets also allow you to take that really cool grouping of five units. It gives you five order dice for 119 points, sort of as the starting place for your list, where you have your commissar with a couple of buddies, three anti-tank rifles at regular, and the free squad. Now, if you throw that lieutenant in there that you have to take, you're at 169 points. Throw in a couple of guys and then a couple of squads, and then you have uh, some freedom to splash out if you wanted to run a heavy tank and you were afraid of running at a point deficit, or sorry, an order dice deficit, or if you were thinking, I know assault engineers were sort of seen as cheesy for a little while in body armor. I think recently people sort of bin them as two points inefficient to take. However, they are really opportunely put in the Soviet book where there is the opportunity to make up for low order dice with that five order dice. JL, I, I think I'm just saying again and again that you should play Soviets if you want to play competitively. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, I do have a Soviet army, as it, as it happens, uh, most most of which is uh, Eureka uh, metal Soviets, which are just lovely. Brilliant um, models, right? Some. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love them. Um, I, I just find that... Uh, pe- people talk about playing um, the US as, as playing on, on easy mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find the Soviets very forgiving, uh, or at least the late war versions of it. It's it's harder when you're playing with those uh, weird ramshackle, multi-turreted mm-hmm. um, <laughs> oh, yeah. monstrosities. Uh, you know, they don't move very fast, although they, they're a little bit, again, like the... Um, uh, Panzer ones and stuff. That mm-hmm. even though they were an evolutionary dead end, they have a lot of machine guns on them. Yeah, they um, are. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to move very fast. <laughs> no, especially when they're half the board long. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. My T28s feel ridiculous when I put them on the tabletop, uh, <laughs> just because they are so much longer than everything else. It's like. Um, was it the oh, Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile on the? You want to see though. Long Boys? I, I, I've got a Bronner Crater. Oh Jesus! <laughs> which I, I've never actually used in a in a game. Um, I don't know why I have it. I, I got it got it in a trade once, I oh. think, um, and it just sits on the mantelpiece here. But uh, yeah, I mean the the late war stuff. It, you you just have a wealth of of options, and you still get to keep uh, at least in the reinforced platoon. Um, you're you're cheap and cheerful free squad and uh the um as you say those five dice for for very very cheap points um some of the uh theater selector lists get a bit more challenging um like the uh units in the uh budapest book are a little bit more Mm -hmm. unforgiving to use they're they're tooled up and, and everything but you don't get those cheap free units no you don't anymore um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy the uh, the Soviet stuff. Um, Plus, yeah, hitting so- something with the ISU one fifty two is just mm-hmm. a, a barrel of laughs. It is. It's the fun, right? <laughs> oh, I love mine. But it's also, I mean, they also have that really valuable rule that no one talks about, which is when your unit's about to be eliminated because of casualties. If you fail that order check, you're able to take that again. 
the number of times that either I've been playing the Japanese or I've been playing the Soviets, and it's either I'm like, ha, it doesn't matter, or you know, I get to re-roll that, ha, I'm safe. The number of times that's come in, in when I'm playing bolt action, mainly I think because I'm playing regular, <clears throat> that's really valuable. That is not a bad rule. So it's almost like the Soviets have... I mean, again, I don't want to say that they, you need to play Soviets, but they have that wonderful, again, diversity in squads as well. If you want an assaulty type squad, there's about six flavors you can take in the Soviet book. If you want to really take something and theme to a, a, a part of history, there's, there's a unit in there in the, in the Soviet book that will really help you with that. And while every book does that, I feel like the Soviet book has a little bit more flexibility in it. Andy was throwing a couple elbows in to make some room for you, list-building-wise, that really goes there. Now, of course, there's lots of other great armies if you want to play, quote-unquote, competitively. But flexibility, man, I, I just keep coming back to the Soviets. Yeah, I, I think the other one that that reminds me of that is the uh, Armies of Great Britain book because it, yes. it covers such a such a wide scope. Um, I mean, not everything was used altogether, but um, even the the inherent flexibility in being able to choose your national mm-hmm. characteristic um, that that adds a whole other element to to your list construction. Plus, pages upon pages upon pages of tanks, and <laughs> a lot of variety in the types of units you can take as infantry. Again, you have that versatility that really helps you to put a list together. Um, and while they may not be the quote-unquote best national rules, you really can cater your national rules to suit your list, which mm. is almost more valuable in some cases than you trying to build an army list to suit your national rules, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, that's that's right. Because you, the choice is yours, that, that you, you build the rest of the, the list and then choose the best characteristic to support uh, the way that you want to play that. Definitely. And I think that's one of the big takeaways that I want people to hear us saying this week. It's playing competitively doesn't necessarily mean you need to take the same art. Like you need to take this army list. You can play competitively with Italians using the old rules. I know how everyone's now talking about Italians like they're the new hotness. Yes, they have amazing tanks. But I was winning games with Italians for years using the old crappy ones. And that's not pat me on the back. Oh, wow. No, I went in with the game plan. I took, I looked at the national rules, I looked at the units available, and I built around that. And because of that, I was able to come together with something that was very competitive. Um, and you can do that with almost any army in bolt action. Yes, some armies give you more flexibility. Um, and hey, some armies don't give you any real national rules at all. But if you have an idea of what you want to do with an army and you are able to look at the units within it and then pull out a game plan, um, I like to, to, to build it around history, but I'm, I'm cognizant that not everyone listening to this does. I know you both do, JL, but you, you need to have a game plan when you walk on the table. Otherwise, you're going to spend half the game figuring out what you're doing with your units when your opponent might already know and they have, they've won the game at that point. Or they are much more likely to win the game because they're not thinking about what they're doing. They're thinking about what you're doing. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the other advantage that, that Bolt Action generally has as, as a game is that a guy with a rifle is a guy with a rifle regardless of what color uniform that he's wearing. Uh, the, the stat lines do not divulge too much. And there's not a lot of um, hidden shenanigans and synchronicities between mm -hmm. different units that you have to have read six different books to understand what the possibilities are. Um, yeah. You know, pe people do, particularly people who play uh, more sim simulation style games like Chain of Command or so on will criticize bolt action as being um, a, a bit a bit arcadey, which mm -hmm. to some extent it is, but um, it's not something that you win or lose based on um, five points here or five points there. True. You know, we're, we're, we're not in that realm anymore. Uh, which which is a great thing uh, to to play it and and I think really that um, the stronger player with a weaker list will beat a um, a weaker player with a stronger list. Yeah, you ca there there is no Death Star um, flavor of the week list that, but you know because there's not there's not a release cycle of the codexes and the editions doesn't change very often. Um, the, the 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 goalposts stay pretty much where they are, especially if you're just looking at the armies of books because those have been around forever, and mm -hmm. you know those goalposts aren't moving; they are set in stone, ladies and gentlemen. You know, at some point, hopefully, they do move, and then it'll be a really exciting time to play bolt action. Um, not that it isn't always a good time to play bolt action, but you know, we've been we've had a static set of army lists, units, national rules, and all of this, which is why I think everyone's so excited about the new Italian book, because they give you alternatives to the national rules, which kind of makes Italy a brand new nation. And now everyone's going, oh my God, there's a new nation. Um, it's also why I think the Budapest book was so exciting, because it really did open up a lot of the existing nations to do things in different ways. Now, I'm not saying that other books haven't done that. Clearly, they have. Um, I think the Battle of the Bulge book has some wonderful lists in it. Um, you know, there's just lots of great... I, I mean, I know I'm missing a million things. Sorry, Gaz. I know some of the lists that you guys and Mark Barber have done have been fantastic as well. There's just so many good lists in some of those campaign books. But if we're not looking at those, if we're just looking at the armies of books to be in competitive play... I don't know if, look, there are some nationalities that just have great rules. Now, I've talked about the U.S. being easy mode for a million years. That's largely because that no minus one to move and the fact that you get bars instead of light machine guns and the fact that they are so much cheaper than machine guns just allows Americans to move and maneuver, which, as we said, mobility on the tabletop is king because you need to be able to grab those objectives. It makes Americans really valuable because being able to, they're, they're, you know, if you move, if you shoot, if someone's in cover, normally that's sixes on sixes. All of a sudden, for Americans, it's sixes. And so that is huge. That really increases your probability of hitting, inflicting pins, your shooting being more damaging. It makes Americans really good as far as that goes. Plus their vehicles, you're able to put a machine gun on everything, including their toes, which is awesome. And they just they're just good. But if there, you there's no obvious um obvious downside, is there? there no. There's no sort of 
uh, trade-off with it. Well, I, I see like that there there are some armies that really get nothing much of anything. I mean, what true. Norwegians or Dutch, Belgians, yeah, they they don't have much of a positive, but they don't have much of a negative. Well, the either. Americans, hold on. Well, the Americans do have their mine, their the no minus one, and that awesome uh, the, the no minus one for coming in from our flank, and let's not forget gyro stabilizers. They have those mm-hmm. great rules. They can be really because unlike our books like the new German book, uh, the, the Soviet book, and some of the other books, the units within it don't have much diversity. You, you really are, oh, it's a rifle squad with a bar, or a rifle squad with two bars. Um, what's really exciting in that book are the Marines, where you can take some shotguns and take some pistols and some SMGs. Oh, wow, you got some variety in there. But otherwise... Well, the Americans have great rules, but they don't have great variety. The Soviets have great rules and great variety, but arguably the Americans probably have better rules, but they get the free squad. And so you're going back and forth. Um, yeah. And those free squads do make a difference, right? Well, it, it's, an inter- it's interesting that you put it that way because um, out of historical games, list building in bolt action is very unusual with its uh, very True. granular and point-based system. Um, a lot of, a lot of, if not most games just say, here is the table of organization of a mm-hmm. uh, rifle platoon. This is what you get. You don't fiddle around the edges by putting SMGs in here or not in here or whatever. It's like, this is what it was. This is what you get. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, yeah, that that argument for flexibility and variety is is kind of unique to bolt action in a, it really in a way is. because of its its pedigree as coming from um, games that that were really built around list design. Agreed. Um, like Warhammer, like there, yeah, exactly. there's und- I mean, Rick Priestley and Alessio came from a Warhammer background, so when they created bolt action. Um, Un- unsurprisingly, a lot of the you know the aesthetics slash mentality behind the game's mechanics came from that sort of place. So it's unsurprising that we're seeing that variety, and that's one of the things that really drives me to bolt action. Is I love being able to tinker. I love being able to try new things and do different things that mm-hmm. you know are a little left of center. I can take an auto Sahariana made up of nothing but soft skin vehicles and have a blast with it even though it's Italians using the old rules. YOLO, you know, come at me. Um, (laughs) Turns out that list is really good, and now it's even better. But if you look at other nations, um, let's look at Japan for a second. The Japanese national rules are great, but they don't have almost any variety in their listing options, which really drives people to play the Japanese a certain way. But one of the things that I've heard some Japanese players and I shrug and I sort of look at them sideways when they say it is, oh, I don't get a free squad. Um, other people have better army lists. Well, Fanatic is three points a model, whether or not you agree with the costing of three points a model. And you have, you know, 50 guys in your army, 50 times three, you get basically 150 free points there, buddy. I guess it depends on... As you say, a rifleman is a rifleman is a rifleman. I guess what I'm trying to say here is you need to have a game plan when you go in and you need to choose an army that isn't quote-unquote the best or take the most efficient tank. You should take an army that suits 
what you want to do, whether those national rules or the theme suits what you want to achieve on the tabletop or just inspires yeah, you as a yeah. player or a, as a hobbyist, um, if that makes sense. And then go from there. Like, I like yeah. to... So I think yeah. it's important that, that to be successful, you, you have to lean into the... Um, into what your army does and build the list around that. Like, right. I, I don't think anybody is going to um, be super enthusiastic about building a Japanese tank war list, for example, because they're, they're just <laughs> kind of rickety. And uh... For the record, <laughs> I like that. I was going to, I'm looking at you sideways over the, yeah. the Skype going, wait a minute. I do that. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? The, I do. The, I do. The, they're terrible. The, yeah. Um, that that's a really infantry centric unit that has wonderful infantry and so on. So to um, to do well with it, playing to its strengths really helps. Yeah, you know, um, agreed. But it 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 doesn't have a lot of flexibility, as you say. I, I agree. No, exactly. Uh, um, so JL, if you were asked today to build a competitive list, when I was just to give you where I'm coming from. I, I sort of picked three nations that I would start with um, and three armies that have sort of been bubbling around in the back of my head in recent years. One would be the Soviets because I have my snowsuit army and because I have a yet another uh, Soviet Black Death naval brigade army in a box. I was looking at those as being a starting point. One, because I like the flexibility in the list. Um, I like the flexibility in the vehicles. And if I haven't quite ironed out what I want to do with the army, the flexibility's there. The, the, those five order dice, that swing is there. If I, if I need some extra order dice, if I want to take assault engineers, which I have, which, you know, might be fun. Or if I want to take something big and stupid, like, I don't know, in, in IS-1, you know, why, <laughs> YOLO, why not? Like, have fun with it. If it, I haven't quite figured the plan yet, but I, I've, I've always wanted to try it. So that might be one route. Another route is I've never gone veteran infantry, and I did get the Company B Japanese paratrooper army when it came out. And so I have an army of Japanese paratroopers, which are just veteran infantry. They're allowed to take, I think, two more SMGs per squad than a normal Japanese squad. So they can take, wait for it, three. Ooh. But I think that would be fun. But that would be an army that wouldn't have tanks. So that might be a challenge in and of itself. Would that be competitive, though? It could be. I, I haven't messed with it. The last thing is I have fins that have been long-suffering that I've been working on for a million years. And fins really have wonderful national rules as far as if you take enough um, casualties on a squad, they automatically bump up to the next level of veterancy. You're able to do neat stuff about coming in from outflank. And depending on the units that you take, there's other shenanigans uh, in there as well. But again, we're looking at largely crappy tanks and infantry heavy which is i guess these are all departures from the super heavy uh, vehicle heavy list that i've been doing but i guess i've been there and done that i guess that's where i would come from um, but again i'm choosing things for 
ones that I have the models for, but also be where the national rules and the units within them sort of lean into what I'm planning to do with them on the tabletop. How about you? Yeah, um, I mean, if I'm a big fan of mechanized Germans, um, so you're, you're sort of Panzer Grenadiers, but uh, probably not in half tracks because sadly the, the points uh, versus the fragility of the half tracks doesn't really play out. But um, yeah. I certainly think uh, Panzer Grenadiers mounted in trucks, uh, supporting um, supported by a uh, STUH 42 or mm -hmm. a Panzer IV. Um, that's a great all comers competitive list. Um, and it is, you know, it's, it's fairly forgiving, um, particularly if you're playing a mixture of um, regulars on your back line and uh, veterans up the front, mm -hmm. with the, the uh, pioneers. Um, I agree with the Russians that, that it's just such a flexible list that you can, you can build anything out of that um, pretty easily. Um, the other one I would say, if I had to pick a third, and choose an army that would give me a mixture of versatility and um, teeth, a bit of crunch there, so to speak. Um, West, uh, late war Western fronts British, um, mm. because you've got you've got good uh, good armor. Um, mm -hmm. you know, you've got your Sherman variants. You've got your Cromwells, um, whatever you can choose from. Um, you you can take good regular infantry and choose the um, national rule of, of your choosing that suits your, your play style and then add your commandos and paras to that to just really give it some uh, some teeth yeah yeah and, and and the great thing about all of those is that they're very uh flexible in terms of adding units in and out of your lists um yeah that you would be able to continue having fun with that for quite a long time they're, they're by no means uh, one trick pony kind of uh, kind of armies or lists. Yeah, agreed. I like all of those ideas too. Now you're giving me bad ideas. Um, hmm. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I know I don't think we've necessarily answered the question that was asked. How would we build a competitive list? I think they were more saying, "What? What? What are the the units? What are the tanks? What are the exact? How? What is the point values?" That I think for me, this is how I approach it. And I know, JL, that's how you sort of tackle it when you're first coming together with an idea. And I don't think that's something that's been discussed enough on a podcast. So I hope that we've answered today's lis listener question well. I hope, I hope you, the listener, have gotten a lot out of this. Um, JL, any final thoughts before we roll out? Because I know you have... You had pages of notes. Um, have we have we hit most of them? Yeah, I think we we did a, a really good job of covering that. I, I don't think we got in too much to the uh, to the gimmick lists, um, but that's that's kind of discounted by the uh, by the new competitive play pack. Um, in the Agreed. most of those uh, weird things like the Panzer Brigade one hundred and fifty mm -hmm. <laughs> list and so on, they're, they're all in theater selectors, and they yeah. they they're kind of edge cases. Uh, for for the purposes of what we're we're doing here, so I think we did a good job of covering that. Brilliant, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. We've literally been talking about this for ages, and uh, you know, it, it was a perfect topic and a perfect time. Please come back again, and let's talk about other games, man. Yeah, 
Wonderful. Will do. Right on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, thank you to the listener who sent in the question. I really do appreciate it. It got me thinking, and uh, it got me thinking about something that wasn't locked down, and believe me, I really appreciate that at the moment. Um, And it got a little spring in my step and a little fire in my belly, and it got something, uh, got this episode out to you. So, guys, if you have a question that you would like us to tackle on the show or a topic or a game, um, or you really liked this episode, uh, please feel free to reach out. Uh, find me on K- uh, Facebook under Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you message the page, you're guaranteed a response by me. My name's Brad. Hi. Just keep in mind that sometimes responses take a few hours given uh, what time of day it is, where you are. I am in Australia, and that is the opposite side of the planet of half of the listeners of this show. Ladies and gentlemen, I guess that takes us to... The old, uh, what our buddy Casey always says to take us out. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. And that track by